Sometimes Mike Calabrese thinks he should quit music to clean up forests. But then the drummer of the indie band Lake Street Dive comes to his senses and decides to stick to what he knows. So instead, he writes a song about how Colombia and Kenya got too damn hot. The band released the song Making Do earlier this year. It's clearly an environmental manifesto, but Mike says he doesn't want to sound too preachy. I don't want to convince anybody of anything. I don't want to convince someone who likes the band that climate change is real or not. That's not our job. I think, if anything, we want to just give people a perspective of how we feel about things. I'm Yash Pavlik-Slank, and this is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. Today, we'll talk to Lake Street Dive's Mike Calabrese and lead singer Rachel Price about the challenges of being a green band and why they banned plastic water bottles from their shows. They'll also tell us about writing our theme song, Shame, Shame, Shame. Welcome to Degrees, Mike and Rachel. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. Full disclosure, listeners, I have producers making sure I stay objective here because Lake Street Dive is my very favorite band. (laughs) Mike, jumping right in, it's not every musician who thinks about quitting his band to clean up forests or live in the forest or clean up streams. When did you first learn that you were an environmentalist? You know, it's hard to say. I think it was it was kind of buried. It was a it was pretty subconscious for I think most of my life. And uh it started all the normal ways, camping with the folks or enjoying time at the shore, always never getting out of the ocean, just enjoying nature in general. I had already always been super interested in science. I was, you know, had a popular science subscription. I remember reading about biofuels when I was 11 years old and being like, oh, so cool. You don't need to use oil, you know, and all this stuff. And most of my life, and Rachel knows what I'm talking about here, uh, I've been obsessed with food waste. It's one of my biggest issues. And so there were all these things kind of bubbling beneath the surface, but it wasn't until my wife and I had our first child that kind of like brought me out of kind of the more, I guess, self-centered or self-absorbed mindset that you're that I was in before having a kid because having a kid can just kind of blow your heart and your mind wide open and all of a sudden you're worrying about 15 million things that you never even considered and by the time you figured this out you were already a parent you're already a very established musician thinking back to when you were a kid reading your popular science magazines did you ever consider becoming a scientist instead of a musician or was that always just the plan who you were when you came out of into the world. Yeah. I mean, yes, no. I always joke with anyone who asked me about it. Like I, I wasn't forced into being a musician, <laughs> but I like kind of was by my family. It was a very loving force. You know, it was just like, I grew up amongst it and my parents met in a rock band and my dad was like, if you're good at something and you like it, we will help you do that. And, you know, a lot of my friends in high school who were very good musicians, they kind of were more 
directed towards this idea of like, yeah, music is great, but like, make sure you major in business. I kind of, I did the opposite. I was like, I can, in my life, I can minor in science. I can just, I can be into science and be a musician. So I, I never took concrete steps to be a scientist. No. Well, I feel like I'm on the opposite side of that. I feel like I was gently forced into being an environmentalist. So uh, <laughs> I understand and and appreciate that journey. Now, Rachel, were you already concerned about the environment when Mike started talking about it? Or was Mike, shall we say, someone who converted you? I don't think that my concern for the environment was at the forefront of my thoughts before Mike started bringing his concerns and solutions to the band. And it started out with, it, actually in a lot of ways, it was Mike and a crew member of ours. Her name's Katie Benson. And she um, started touring with us and she said that there was a lot of things that we could do just in our small little touring unit to make our operation much greener because that was a job that she'd had in the past. So she was one of the first people that came in and said, you know, there's things you can do. And we were like, oh, we should do them. And then we would have meetings and say, like, what are what are the things, the basic things, <laughs> the like things that we were just like, as soon as you get on a bus, you're like, I don't know what to do with all of this food waste or all this trash. We just like put it somewhere. And we were like, oh, maybe we should recycle. And then, you know, maybe we should have our own reusable water bottles and make sure that those are the only things that people see on stage so they know that we don't use plastic water bottles. And then let's never see a plastic water bottle. Let's not allow them in our backstage. And things like that, Mike has helped educate me with climate change and the crisis that we're going through and, you know, really inspired us uh, all to, to pay more attention. It's a long journey, right? There, you're busy. You're on tour. You're making music. You're contributing to the world in a different way. And to take the time, I really applaud you to take the time to think about the impact that you're making and the opportunities that you can have to make a change is is important. But what does being a green band really mean exactly? I mean, it, it involves controlling your trash in your concerts. It involves tracking your carbon footprint. It involves now writing impactful songs. How else are you living up to this goal of, of being a green band? I think it's kind of a cliche term now, but the idea of normalizing discussions about climate and, you know, to... <sighs> It, it, which is very difficult because our brains are wired to avoid thinking about these things. And it's it's funny. I think about like the IPCC report that came out a couple of days ago. Mike, um, I'm just going to interrupt you. For folks who are listening, the IPCC report was released earlier this year. And it, essentially it said that the Earth's temperature is indeed rising as predicted and that some of the effects of climate change are irreversible at this point. However, it was hopeful because it did find that not all the damage is irreversible and we can still do our part and do a lot to fight the worst effects of climate change. Carry on. Continue, Mike. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was almost like almost normalized. Yeah. Sounds, sounds bad. Same stuff we know. It's reiterated again, maybe a little bit worse than we thought. And, um, you know, especially if people were reading about this on their phone, that's where they get their news. You know, the easiest thing to do on a phone is swipe. And I think uh, that that aspect of not wanting to think about it, not wanting to talk about it, that kind of needs to be, you got to train out of it. You have to practice talking about it. You just need to start small. 
water bottles, whatever, find a way in, you know, banning water bottles from our stages isn't going to save the planet in and of itself. But I often think about these, there's a lot of important things about individual action and a lot of insignificant things about individual action. But the thing about individual action that I appreciate the most is um, it's, you are practicing your resolve. And I think if you start to create a culture, if like we have a band, we have crew, if you create a culture where you can bring these things up in a, in a safe place and you can see it happening in real time, it's like, oh, Lake Street Dive doesn't have any water bottles in their bus. We have a new lighting guy. And I, I wonder what he's going to think when he enters our operation on a tour bus for the first time. He's going to be like, oh, we got to refill our water jugs ourselves. And we got to, you know, make sure that the recycling's here. And, oh, there's no plastic plates. You know, like we do dishes on the bus. And so when you create a culture like that, culture is the ultimate reinforcement. That's when the individual becomes bigger. And so I think that's kind of the key. Next steps for us is probably just to keep talking about it. Mike, you just talked a lot about culture and using your position wherever it is, whatever it is, to make a difference and to start normalizing conversations about things like climate change. But I think there's a bit of a risk being a musician and an activist. In my family, I have people who don't think climate change is real, and they're also huge fans of like Street Dive. How do you walk the line between writing songs that mean a lot to you as an artist, but also avoid being preachy? <laughs> well, we in the culture of our band have kind of approached whatever taboo or uncomfortable topics that sometimes have to do with politics or climate change or whatever, you know, divisive things. We approach it uh, first and foremost from a place of um, just honesty with ourselves and honesty about what we think, but also how we feel about it. I don't want to convince anybody of anything. I don't want to convince someone who likes the band that climate change is real or not. That's not our job. Our job is to tell you how we feel. And if your butt is moving to one of our songs and you're the word, you know, that, that makes the words kind of enter your system in a more, you know, positive way. If anything, we want to just give people a perspective of how we feel about things. And we do get the occasional stick to music or this, that, or the other thing. And my response to that is we are, <laughs> we are sticking to music. This is the music we're writing. You don't have to listen to it, you know, but if you feel something, even if it's challenging, there are plenty of musicians that I love their music and I listen to their perspectives and their songs and I don't agree with their politics and I don't agree with everything they think, but I'm happy that at least through music, it's both incredibly personal, but don't take it personally, you know, but it, you can allow it to be, to exist between the audience and the musician creating it and let it sit there, give it its own place. Rachel, I'd love to ask you the same question I asked Mike. How do you toe the line between being preachy and, and just really expressing not only what you feel, but what you understand others are feeling? I think through observation, through, through talking to people and understanding how other people feel besides yourself. You know, a lot of times artists get, the cliche is that we're very self-involved. 
But I think in truth, artists are generally very, very observant people. The best ones are, you know, the best comedians are, the best songwriters are, uh, you know, painting a portrait and they're, and they're showing you a little feeling. And so I think that that is a big part of it. Like Mike said, is like, you can't, you sort of can't be preachy because we don't know everything. And it's not usually a very helpful way of communicating. Right, right. <laughs> In the end, like you might, you might want to preach and you might have some very preachy things that you're going to write, but you might, you know, you sort of find that people don't really want to be necessarily told um, how to feel about something or what to do about something. Right. And I imagine that's a little bit harder for you in some ways because you're the front woman of the band and these words are coming out of your mouth, Mm -hmm. even though they're representing other views in the group and more broadly. Yeah, it's a bit scary. The first time that we performed Making Do, we were just playing (laughs) down in Florida. It was like midday. Everyone was like, it was already kind of a difficult vibe. Everyone was distanced and in their pods and uh, they were sort of far away from us. And, you know, but you could tell they wanted to like dance and party. And I was like, well, okay, like here's our sobering song that um, (laughs) starts with a very like somewhat like sarcastic message being like, sorry, next generation, like you're kind of, it's kind of not going to be great for you with all of this climate change. And yeah, I, I didn't, I don't think I sold the performance really, because I was still figuring out in myself how I felt about having a message like this, just like popping it in the middle of our show which we are generally like, our shows are a big, fun dance party. And they are. And they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't think I even said anything. We just did it. And I was like, okay. And, you know, it took me a few shows after that to kind of ground myself and say what we were saying, keep it at the forefront. Like we have to experience pain and pleasure simultaneously. It's the paradox of life. And so there's no reason why we should say we're only delivering an experience of pleasure because that's not true. That doesn't exist. So if our goal is in the end, just sort of like delivering a truthful message, then you might have to feel a little uncomfortable. Yep. Absolutely. And I can imagine that takes practice. And we're talking about one of your latest songs, Making Do. For our audience, it's about climate change. And it taps into a little bit of the guilt that older generations, myself included, feel about climate change and the state of the world that we're leaving for future generations. Mike, I'd love to hear about your initial process when writing this song. I know the two of you worked on this collaboratively, but where did you start? I started with the opening line, which is kind of the last bit of the song, too. To the next generation, Merry Christmas. You're working harder than ever now, and the coffee sucks. You know, I just had this idea. I was watching a Bill Nye show. One of the first episodes was about climate change. And I thought this was actually a really good idea. One of the ways to talk about this stuff is to you know, find people's stories and then find how climate is going to be related to their story because 100% there is a way it's going to be related to them. It's unavoidable in every facet of the world. This episode talked about how um, coffee 
is a crop that's going to experience one of the greatest die-offs or shortages due to climate change in the coming decades. And I was just thinking like, I had this idea, I was like watching Sunrise Movement activists. They must have to really caffeinate themselves to, yes. you know, like to keep up this work, but there's not going to be as much coffee or it's going to be grown hydroponically in a underground. I, what's going to happen to coffee? It's going to taste bad. You know, and I just had this feeling it was like, that really hits you, you know, or it hit me. And I was like, I'm going to start with this idea. And then <laughs> to be quite honest, I, I was just, I just started writing lyrics that I thought were bad because they were so blatant, just like sentences rattling around in my brain that I just put on paper and put in time and tried my best to rhyme them. Wait, Rachel, did you think they were bad too? No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. I, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which draft, like, I don't know if you wrote a second draft or what we got after that journal entry, but when he sent us the demo, I was like, this is a wonderful, heartbreaking song. I think I thought it was bad because I I think I was, I pay attention a lot as a song, at least my songwriting process. I'm like, how are people going to hear this? I was a little bit like, I don't want to hear this. And I think subconsciously I was like, don't touch this. This is bad. This is bad. And that is one of those moments like Rachel was talking about on stage. She felt like she didn't sell it at first. And then you kind of had to meet that moment. You have to be truthful about it. And to be honest, you know, especially that line, you know, what do I say to my baby girl? What I still think about that. What am I going to say to her? What, what are the questions she's going to ask me? Is she going to be mad at us? To be honest, I still have a hard time playing that song on stage, but that's the greatest lesson because that's like, you know, that thing they say that's like, you have to get uncomfortable to learn things and, and to actually do good. That's now I know when I feel uncomfortable presenting that song to people, that's actually the 100% right thing to do. And you have to get it out to be able to move forward. When I hear the phrase making do and when I listen to the song making do, it strikes my ear as optimistic. And you may not have intended it that way, but it's more or less a message of it's OK. This isn't ideal, but we're going to figure out how to manage this. And I don't know if that's what you want the audience to take away, but uh, I know that your band is not only doing what you can in shows and by example, but you're also working with the carbon pollution reduction nonprofit Cool Effect, which is really, really a neat organization to offset your touring carbon footprint. How does that work exactly? They're a nonprofit. So they're like, here's the spreadsheet of all the things that they're like, this is the emissions for a tour bus. This is the emissions for flights. This is the emissions for hotel rooms are big emitters. And then you just like, I went up to our tour manager at the end of the tour and I was like, how many hotels do we stay in? How many miles did we drive? And just plug and play. Yeah. So you can choose, you know, which is kind of fun, which thing they're going to do to, to offset the emissions that we've created which is, it's really cool. I mean, it's so simple and straightforward. It's, it really, when Mike brought it to us, I was like, oh, this is literally the least we can do. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you're, you're basically just taking responsibility for your carbon footprint, yeah. understanding what it is, and then offsetting it through one of these projects. Mm -hmm. They're doing all the work. Love that. Um, is this the first year you did that? Well, probably not this year because we've been in lockdown. What was your first year's worth of carbon footprint and Talk about how that played out. 
for some reason, the number 450 metric tons of carbon was our number, something like that. The miles we put on on that bus, it was definitely good for us to do the offsetting thing for the the help that it does to the different projects. But, you know, also to just like take a look at like, oh, you're, you're, you are face to face with undeniable numbers representing the environmental impact of your career. And the takeaway from it isn't like, I don't think it should be a pat on the back. You know, it's literally accounting for your emissions. And then that is accountability. You know, it's like, do we want to put that many miles on a tour bus? Do we want to take this many flights? Ooh, it's, it's less of a carbon footprint to, uh, for each of us to stay a week in a hotel room than it is for us to drive of the bus to seven different shows. So what if we just did seven shows in one place and just stayed in hotel rooms instead? That would cut our, you know, it's like, it gets your your head thinking, but also outside of your operation, it gets you thinking about like, it really shows you the economy anywhere runs on fossil fuels. Most people pursuing green careers probably think they'll help develop some kind of new technology or maybe work in government on policy or drive a green commitment for a company. Do you think that music can be as powerful to make a difference when it comes to climate change? Uh, as powerful as a policy change? Uh, no. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely. We need those things way more than all the things that you just listed. But we need people to keep thinking about these necessary um, changes. We needed to stay at the forefront of their mind, like Calabrese was saying. We need to not, not think about it. And so part of what music and art does is that it can put messages and feelings that reflect a general sense of of dread or sadness or any sort of feelings, it can put them sort of into the water, so to speak. Um, it can enter ideas into the general zeitgeist. And so part of what every little, every musician is doing, an artist of, uh, of any medium is trying to sort of sprinkle in ideas or feelings. Like they might be, their emotions that we have as individuals that we want to express, but also an undeniable part of being an artist is is picking up on other people's feelings and observing them. I think that is part of what drives us to then put that into a song. Something collective is is brewing inside of us. We're like, oh, you feel that way too. And most of us would never would never write it down. We would just invalidate ourselves immediately and and be like, nobody wants to hear about what I'm I'm feeling. I think really, really great songwriters are like, oh no, I think other people feel this way too. Well, I want to transition a little bit to talk about your song, Shame, Shame, Shame. Uh, this is the theme song for Degrees. My executive producer, Rick, and I loved this song because we felt like it really embodied the momentum of the emerging climate leaders that we work with every day through the Climate Corps program at EDF. And it's a workforce that we feel like and we know can't be stopped. They're out there. They're making a difference in a lot of different sectors and companies and cities around the world. That being said, this song kind of sounds like a breakup song. It's about a guy specifically. Shame, shame, shame on you. I bet you think you're a big man now, but you don't know how to be 
too. But this song is actually a political song. Am I right? It's about a guy that was our former president. <laughs> yes, that's right. Can you tell me a little bit about the process for writing this? This is a song by Bridget Carney, who is such an incredible songwriter. And I think that she's just always working diligently on how to write a song beyond love and breakups and and romance in a way that uh, feels truthful and, but, you know, says what we're feeling. And I think this happened to a lot of artists after Trump got elected, which we were all sent reeling. And we were like, oh God, this is all, this is consuming me. This is what I'm thinking about. How do I write a song about this? And I think it, in a lot of ways, it took us all like a few years almost to figure it out. But yeah, shame, shame, shame. You know, I think that one of the things that she uh, did really well was write about this character. Like it was directly inspired by our former president, but she was writing about a character that has existed in history uh, time after time uh, that we're all familiar with. And it was a song about power and about the abuse of, of power and saying to them, shame on you, shame on you for using your power in this, in this nefarious and dangerous way. Well, and now we use the hook, Change is Coming, Oh Yeah, as our theme song, as our theme song, not only for this podcast, but I think in many ways for the people who are listening and the generation around them, the people who are saying, yes, that's part of our history, that's part of our past, but it's not how it's going to be anymore. Well, now I have some quick and dirty personal questions for both of you that we're asking all of our guests. So you have to choose one or the other. And if you just both chime in at the same time, go for it. If you want to take turns, that's fine, too. Here we go. Mountain or beach? Oh, that's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, super, super rude. I grew up going to the beach. That was like the ocean was my healing zone. But since marrying my wife who's from Vermont and going up there in the summer and going to the, you know, their mountain, her family's mountain people and going to the lakes up there, the hiking, the running, the, the like early morning post rain forest walk versus getting baked at least at this age i'm kind of like i'm uncomfortable and sweaty i I feel gross (laughs) i'm way too self-conscious anymore so going to the lake it's quieter it's still that's kind of my jam okay mountains for mike rachel i'm gonna say mountain too yeah rage okay i have a mountain tattoo like it's it's one of my happy yeah it's one of your things (laughs) right rachel's from the mountains tennessee right yeah that's part of who you are All right, next one. Pet or plant? Pet. Plant. A plant is way easier to take care of. I love (laughs) Rachel's cat, Stella. I've known her from the old days, from like Boston, living in Boston days. But a plant, you can leave for a couple weeks. I guess you could leave a cat for a couple weeks too. But Yeah, I've definitely kept Stella alive much longer than any of my plants. Are you two learning something about each other right now or was that predictable? All right, final, final question. Power or money? Um, yeah, if I had to choose, I'd say power. Yeah, power. power. I don't need money. I'm a Virgo, so <laughs> we like control. But what's wrong with money? <laughs> Nothing inherently. No, genius invention. And I think of money as kind of like just a, a technology. It's like human technology. 
And maybe that's the reason, because it doesn't mean anything unless you give it meaning. Power is kind of power, and it, it just it's about how you wield it, I guess. And you could say that about money, but look at like Bitcoin or whatever. It's like it has it doesn't exist and it has zero meaning. And that's like that's powerlessness to me. We'll have to follow that one. Mm. See if it becomes power or yeah. not. Um great. If you were to say one thing to the people who are listening, to the people who want to change, make change for the environment, what would it be? I would say pay attention and educate yourself. I think education can change a generation. And I think that if we all were taking the time to really educate ourselves about the climate crisis, every single person and teach our kids about the climate crisis, I just think inevitably education is what it can, it can really move a whole, move a generation. Yeah. I would, I would say that things I had mentioned before, I like the, uh, the kind of adage, I often think about this, the poison is the antidote. And maybe it's apt to, after right now, as we talk about, you know, like there's a lot of discussion around vaccines, right? And uh, what is a vaccine? It's a, a representation or maybe a little bit of an actual sickness that you put in your body on purpose to create an environment within yourself of strength and immunity and survival and thriving. It's analogous to me to the the pain, the discomfort, the grief, the despair, any of these negative things. These are you could think of those as they can become diseases in you. And so I think it's important to inoculate yourself against the pit, the pit of despair. And meaning that you need to get uncomfortable in the right ways. And that's very uh personal thing that you need to figure out for yourself. But in terms of stealing your resolve, in terms of joining other people in the fight, in terms of figuring out exactly what your role perfectly is in this whole human drama, I think you have to deal with that. And the good news is, is that if you deal with the good pain in the right way, you will become inoculated against the worst. So get yourself educated, get uncomfortable, and get more powerful. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you both. Rachel Price and Mike Calabrese are members of the band Lake Street Dive. Thank you, Rachel, and thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. In the next episode of Degrees... We like to say we're taking the diesel fuel out of the diesel engine because diesel is a bad word. It's a dirty word, but that's because of the fuel and not the engine it runs in. They've always been coupled together, but there's tremendous power in, in decoupling those two things. We'll talk to BJ Johnson. He's a former USA swim team member who created a technology to trick diesel engines into running on renewable fuel. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Amy Morse is our producer. Our executive producers are Rick Fallou and Christina Mestre. Podcast Allies is our production company, and I am your host, Yesh Pavlik Slink. The foundation of our show, though, is you. If you found value in today's episode, subscribe and share it with other job hunters. And as always, stay fired up, y'all. Change is coming, oh yeah. Hey.